I want to start off today and just start with Matthew chapter 11. People believe that God can do anything, but he has done nothing. A lot of people believe in their own life that God can do anything, but has done nothing, or at best has done very little. That God can do anything, but he's only done a little bit in my life. And in order for him to do more things, in order for him to do stuff in your life, you have to work for it, and you have to to strive for it, and you have to do all that you can just so that God can move in your life and, and you see more blessings. That's what people have this belief. That God hasn't done anything. And the only way for him to do anything is for me to do something to get him to move. To influence him to move in my life. But, and you've learned from this church, our actions, they're not something to get a response from God. We don't do things for God to move, but we are, our actions are a response of what God has already done. Amen? They're, our actions aren't things to get God to respond to us. They're a response already to what God's provided for us. Amen? That's why we do things. That's why we, we, we have works, the Bible says. If you look at the Bible, there's what it seems like there's a lot of contradictions in it. It seems like if you go to the Old Testament and then you go to the New Testament and you keep going back and forth, they're constantly contradicting itself to most people. But when you understand that none of these are contradictions, the Bible says we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And understanding how really these opposites, these opposing things in the scripture, when you put them together, it makes perfect sense. They balance each other out. And that's what this grace and faith relationship is. The grace and faith relationship with, with, with us and with the Bible is to put, in, put them together because separately, grace and faith seem like pure contradictions. Grace, God has provided everything. It's, it's God's unmerited, his undeserved favor over your life. And faith is, is what people think faith is, is working, working, working because you believe that you can, you believe that it's going to happen. So you work, 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 work. And there's two opposing sides of it. There's, there's grace camps and then there's faith camps. But I love what my friend Elijah Morell said when he was here. He said, you have to marry the two. They have to be married with each other. It's like the, the famous saying, opposites attract. You ever, you ever find a couple that's exactly the same? No. I, I think you'd be weird if you found someone that was exactly like you. We, usually people find the, an opposite to themselves. They usually find someone who's like, for example, me and my wife. My wife is clean 1.0. I'm not. Opposites, right? And sometimes that that doesn't balance out because I'm a little too messy. But for the most part, opposites that come together balance each other out and you have unity, you have harmony, you have, you have a life that's, that's balanced together because the things that, that you're not good at, the other person's good at. And the things that they're not good at, you're good at. You balance each other out. And with grace and faith, we have the faith camps, faith churches. You've probably seen a church called Word of Faith Churches. 
And then you have the grace churches, and, and those churches, they, they, they never talk about faith. They, they never talk about anything. They just let God do everything in their life, and they believe nothing is their part. It's all God's will for everything that's happening in this life. And I can't get behind that because that means what I'm saying right now is God's will, just that it's not God's will. So it doesn't make any sense. But you have to marry the two. You have to marry grace and you have to marry faith. And the people that think that God can do anything in their life but hasn't, they aren't putting faith in that grace that God can do anything, that God can do everything. You have to marry them together. Have you found Matthew chapter 11 yet? The scripture says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that there has not been anyone greater than John the Baptist that was born of a woman. I don't think anyone has not been born from a woman. So that means everyone. That there has not been someone greater than John the Baptist, excluding himself, obviously. John the Baptist, he was the greatest, literally he's saying he's the greatest man on the planet. But then he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Do you know who he's talking about there? All of us. So here's Jesus saying, man, John the Baptist, the greatest man that has ever lived right here, but anyone who is least in the kingdom, which is all of us, is greater than him. You're greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said it, not me. Jesus said you are greater than the person who cried out in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. You're greater than him. And it's not because of anything you can do. It's not because of, of, of who you are. It's simply all because of the grace of God on your life. Mm. So going on to verse 12, it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I, I, I'm pretty sure you don't have verse 12 highlighted in your Bible, correct? You probably didn't even know this was a scripture. Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The title of today's message is The Violent Take It by Force. What does this mean? I'm telling you, when you have a revelation of this scripture, it'll light your fire. So before, we have to understand what's going on here. Before the time of John the Baptist and before the time of Jesus, the only way people could relate to God is through sacrifices and through rituals and through, through all these ordinances that were given through the law, correct? People were making sacrifices to, to enter into the temple, the holy, the holies. They had, to, they had to do things in order for God to talk to them and to relate to them and to bless them and to, and to heal them. They had to offer sacrifices or they had to go through rituals in order for God to, to communicate with them. That's all they knew. And for thousands and thousands of years, how many of you know that those rituals and those sacrifices and those habits kind of became cumbersome 
and in all reality, cold. It wasn't, wasn't really from their heart. It was just what they had to do. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that in your life where you've, maybe you have a ritual that you do or a habit that you do, and, and at first you were so excited for it? At first you loved to do it, but then after some time, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this or else I'm going to be off track. Have you ever felt that before? Or is it just me? Usually it happens around January 1st to February 1st. <laughs> or you're, you're so excited, man. I'm, I'm so happy for what I'm doing. I'm, I'm changing my life. I'm going to the gym every single day and I'm feeling so good. And after the first month, you're, oh, I have to go to the gym. I have to wake up today. What happens? Becomes cumbersome. You know what the word cumbersome means? Heavy. Very, something that's just heavy. It's just like a, you're putting on a heavy jacket or you're putting on a, a weighted vest. It's heavy. And you don't want to do it anymore. And that's what was happening with all these people for thousands of years. I mean, we feel that after a month of doing something habitually. For thousands of years, generation after generation, imagine the, the heaviness. And not only the heaviness, but imagine the deadness of those rituals. Oh, we just do it because my grandfathers did it. We just do it because their grandfathers did it. It's just tradition now. It doesn't even mean anything. And this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 15. In verse 8, the New Living Translation says, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they, they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Go back to verse 8. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Cumbersome. It's a cold tradition. It's a cold action. There's no heart behind it. There's no power behind it. It's just by what they're used. It's, it's what they're used to do. They're, they're, used to, they're, they're used to do this stuff. They're used, does that make sense? Why does that not make sense in my head? They're, they're used to doing these things. That's right. Wow. Not sure what happened there. But that's, a, it, that's what happens over time when your heart no longer sees the big picture. Right? I mean, they had to do this. This was a mandatory thing. They had to offer sacrifices every time. They had to do these rituals all the time or else God wouldn't communicate with them. God wouldn't lead them. God wouldn't talk to them. God would distance himself from them if they did not do these things. In fact, every single year, I'm writing a book about this, every single year, these, the high priests, they went and offered sacrifices on a day every single year called the Day of Atonement. And this Day of Atonement, it cleansed the people's sins pretty much for a whole year until another year, then that year ended, and they have to do it again. But in between that year, they still had to offer sacrifices because they sinned since the Day of Atonement. And they have to offer another sacrifice, and another sacrifice, and another one. And every year, they'd have the Day of Atonement where the, the high priest would, would kill an animal, sprinkle its blood over the Ark of the Covenant, and God would not remember their sins and have communion with them. They had to do that. That was the requirement to be in a relationship with God. 
And so for thousands of years, this is all that they knew. And then it says in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 11, and from the days of John the Baptist up until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I looked up what suffers violence mean in the Greek. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I have no idea what it's supposed to sound like. I'm not going to make a fool of myself. But the translation is to crowd oneself into, to be seized, to press. So if, you, if, you, if you're painting a picture here, the people, John the Baptist is preaching. He's preaching about the, the, um, the repentance of sins and the coming of the Messiah. And he's preaching out in the wilderness, the Bible says, preparing the way for Jesus. And he's preaching something that's never been heard before. Repent of your sins for the kingdom of God's at hand. Jesus is on the way. They've never heard that. All they heard was he's coming sometime in the future. But now here's John the Baptist. Prepare the way. He's coming. Repent of your sins. And the people now are hungry. They're eager to listen to what he's saying. I'm not here to mess around, okay? I could be at home, relaxing on the couch, watching my Raiders play today at one o'clock and lose. I'm just kidding, they're playing the Broncos, they should win. <laughs> I could be doing that. I could be enjoying my time and, and relaxing with our animals and me and the wife on the couch. I could be doing, but I'm here today. I'm here on Sunday to give you a word. And it's up to you to receive this word and to be hungry like the people. What this scripture is saying, that the kingdom of God suffers violence, is just meaning that these people are hungry to hear what he's saying. That there are people now who are flocking and pressing in to what John the Baptist is saying. And then it says, the violent take it by force. This means... If all you do is come to church and you're looking at your watch and you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch after this, you're not taking what, anything that I'm saying by force today. You are passively listening. You're passively here. And you just hope, I hope my life changes. But you're not actively pressing in to what the word of God has to say. And that's what these people are doing. They're pressing in and they're violently taking it by force. Now that this, this word right here, this, this word that Jesus was saying, that the violent take it by force, it, it doesn't have a negative connotation to it. It's just a statement of a fact. It's just, if you want it, the person who gets it is the one who's violent and takes it by force, no matter who you are. Whether you're referring this to, to, to a battle and to war, the people who are the most violent in war are probably going to win, right? We need to apply this into our lives, into our spiritual life. When the enemy, I mean, the enemy's real. Who knows the enemy's real? He probably knocked on your door today or something. He's been knocking on mine today. 
when he's bugging you and when he's afflicting you, the, Jesus said, the enemy comes not but to still kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and life more abundant. When the enemy comes knocking on your door to kill, steal, and destroy, if you are passively doing nothing, he's going to win every time. But when you're violent with it, and when you're not going to take no for an answer, you'll win every time. When you're violent with it, man, when, when, you, when you, if you're sick and tired, I said this to our Bible study on, on Wednesday night, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's when you become victorious. But if you're okay with it, if you're okay with, with the enemy afflicting you, if you don't mind the seasonal flu, if you don't mind hearing about all these depressing stories, if you don't mind being depressed every single day, you will be. You will be for the rest of your life. But the moment you're sick and tired of it, and the moment you take what's yours by force, you'll be victorious. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You see, we have something different than these people had. These people just had the, the, the prophet John say, Jesus is coming on the way. Repent of your sins. Re, uh, repent of those. And, and Jesus is going to come. And, and he's almost here. He, he's, he's literally walking down the street right now. And they had something that, that they don't have something we have today. That's the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. That, that's the Holy Spirit and power living on the inside of us. They didn't have that. All they had was, was Jesus walking around. All they had. But really... All they had was Jesus in the flesh, limited to one body, limited to one place at one time. We have him everywhere, church. He, he is right here on the pulpit, standing up next to me. He's sitting right next to you in that empty chair. And most importantly, he's on the inside of you. He's everywhere. He's over in China with, with the people who are being persecuted. He's with them. He's strengthening them. He's over in, in Wisconsin, where my friends are at right now preaching today. He, he's everywhere. They didn't have that back in the day. But they were so hungry. They were so eager. And they were so violent. I love how the scripture says they were violent. That the violent take it by force. They were done with the rituals. They were done with the tradition. They were done with the religious laws. I'll let that one sit for a little bit. You see, we have to understand that Jesus hadn't yet fulfilled anything. Jesus, when he was walking and, and, and they were expecting him and they were, the kingdom of God was suffering violence, Jesus hadn't done anything. In fact, this is, this is, when Jesus' ministry begins, when John the Baptist is baptizing people, and then here comes Jesus out from nowhere. The Bible doesn't say where he comes from. He just comes. And he baptizes Jesus, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, goes into the wilderness, calls his disciples, does signs and wonders, dies on the cross. Then it was finished. But before the cross, nothing was finished. Nothing was fulfilled. Just a couple of prophecies that he was here, that he did certain things. But until he died on that cross, it wasn't finished. 
And so now on this other side of the cross that we live in, this new life that we have, we need to understand that everything that Jesus did and does for you was finished on the cross. Amen. So going back to what people think, that God, he can do anything, but he has done nothing. That is a false statement. God has done everything already on the cross through Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. Well, Matthew, how come I don't see it? Matthew, how come, how come I'm still living in sickness? How come I'm still living in depression? How come I'm still living in poverty? How come I'm still experiencing things that Jesus was supposed to take from me? Why is it still happening to me? Well, the easy answer is you don't have a revelation that it's already done. That's the easy answer. And I'll explain through this message as best as I can. But you have to be the one. You see, I love this. Because Jesus said it's, it's the violent who take it by force. It didn't say it's the violent that it's given to them. He said it's the violent that take it by force. If I had $100 in my hands, and I said it, it's going to be given to the first person who takes it, I'm not just going to give it to you. I'm going to have it up here and you have to take it. There's a story actually of this happening, of this, um, this minister. And when he was a, a real small child, he was like attending a, a kid's conference. And he, there was a, a pastor on the stage and he had one dollar, one little dollar. All these kids got so excited. He had one dollar on stage with him and he said, I'll give this to the first kid who runs up on this stage and grabs this dollar. And he said, and he was sitting in the very, very back of the auditorium. And all of these kids got up and they ran up to the stage and they were jumping, they were wanting the dollar bill and no one was getting it. And the, the pastor still had it in his hand like this. And then it clicked in his head and he ran up to the stage, pushed his way through everyone. He jumped up and grabbed his arm and pulled that dollar bill down and he got it. He took it. That's how we need to take things that are ours. That's how we need to respond when the enemy tries to do stuff to us. We take what's ours without any apology. We're not taking it from God. God's already given it to us. We're not, we're not forcing God to do anything. We're not saying, God, you better give it to me because it's mine. I'm taking it by, no, no, no. God's already given it to you. So the fight isn't with the Lord. The fight isn't with God. But it takes your part. You can't just sit back and, oh, if God wants to bless me, he will. If God wants to heal me, I know it's in the Bible. And if he wants to, he will. You will never get healed. Never. Because you did not take it. You just wished you could have it. I'm stepping on people's toes, but it's all right. I got the Bible to back me up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, you turn to Titus chapter 2 if you have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 on the screens. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Man, if you haven't read the book of Ephesians, you're going to be thrown off this whole message because Ephesians basically is Paul's letter to the, to the church of Ephesus telling them 
what God has already given you. The whole book. It's basically God say, uh, uh, Paul saying everything that belongs to you because of Jesus. So if you don't understand Ephesians, you're in for a, ro- a rocky ride. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace, someone say grace. grace, you have been saved. End of the scripture. Is there a period there? No. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Someone say faith. Faith. Through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. There's been debates on what the gift of God is. Is it the grace? Is it the faith? What is it? It is both. But more specifically, grace is already a gift. Faith is the gift of God. Because you cannot have faith for this grace on your own. Your faith relies on things that are seen, not unseen. Your human faith, which is what we all have before we're born again. Human faith, which is what we can see, touch, taste, smell, and hear. Those five senses are what we dictate faith on. Who's flown in an airplane? You have no clue how that plane works, correct? I mean, you might have a, a little bit of understanding that there's, there's wings and then there's jet engines and then there's a tail, there's pilots, hopefully. <laughs> but, but, but beyond that, you don't know how it works, correct? Unless you do, I mean, you're pretty smart. But we don't know how, how that works. We don't know all the mechanics that go into it. If it's even gonna get us to our destination, yet we still sit in that plane and trust that it's going to take us there. That's human faith. Because what you did do is you evaluated it. You said, okay, the jet wing is still there, right? The engine's not on fire. There's two pilots in the cockpit. All of the, uh, what are they called? Flight attendants. They're calm. I believe in this plane's in good condition, right? That is human faith by what you can see, touch, taste, smell, and hear. But God's faith is the kind of faith that doesn't rely on what you can see or what you can touch or what you can hear or what you can smell or what you can taste. It only relies, and and I say only, it only relies on things unseen. So therefore, It is through faith, grace, that you've been saved through faith, but not your faith, the faith that God gave to you. And may I suggest, church, it is the faith of God given to you. The Bible says that God, he calls things that are not as if though they were. That's faith. That's what Abraham did when he changed. I'm not even in my message today. I'm going on a different route. It's all right, though. With Abraham, God had to change his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram meant exalted father. Abraham meant father of many nations, yet he had no children. Calling things that are or that are not as though they are. I told you, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. So I'm going to call you Abraham father of many nations. And whenever Abraham went around and introducing himself, 
talking to new people. Hey, I'm Isaac. What's your name? I'm Abraham. I'm a father of many nations. Today, people are going to think you're crazy. Today, people are going to think, what the heck are you talking about? You don't have that. What do you mean you're healed? You look just as sick as a dog. What do you mean you're, you're prospering? You can't even live off of this month's rent. You see, people are looking at natural things and judging who you are. But faith and God kind of faith relies on everything unseen. But just because it's not seen, it doesn't mean it's not real. Just because you can't see it. There's a great quote from a movie, um, the Santa Claus movie with Tim Allen a long time ago. And it's with, it's, it's with Santa, but it's, it's a bad illustration. But it gets the picture. It gets the point across. But there's a, the little kid, Tim Allen's little kid in there, and, and he has his stepdad. And his stepdad's telling him, his name's Charlie. He says, Charlie, there is no such thing as Santa. He's like, there, there, it's just not real. And Charlie says, well, how do you know? And, and he says, because he, he's not real. Have you ever seen Santa, Charlie? And he says, well, have you ever seen a million dollars? And he said, well, no, I haven't. He says, but you still believe that it's real and it's out there somewhere. You just haven't seen it. It's the same point. Not with Santa. He's not real. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> Good thing our, my nephew's not in here. But just because you don't see it, it doesn't make it not real. It is real. You just haven't seen it. I go back to the National Treasure. I like to use a lot of movie references because I feel like it relates to more people. National Treasure. The, the map was behind the Declaration of Independence, and you only could see it if you had specific glasses on to look at it. Remember that? Just because you can't see it, it doesn't make it not real. It's real. You just have to train yourself how to see it in the unseen realm. I'm getting, I'm getting too powerful for you today, church. You're not ready to receive it today. I hear your thoughts. But let me make this point clear, though. Go back to Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved. You were not saved by grace. You were not saved by grace. Matthew, the scripture literally just says that. What are you talking about? I told you to go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, put it on the screen. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. If grace saved you, then grace has saved every single person on this planet. And everyone's going to heaven. If grace alone saved you, that means everyone's going to heaven because Titus says that grace has appeared before everyone. So everyone must be saved. Nope. That's what the scripture says, but there must be something missing. And that's where the, the faith comes in. It's by grace through faith in that grace. Because grace has appeared to everyone, but it's only... Only the people who've put their faith in God's grace are the ones who've been saved. 
See, every person, here's something you might not think about often. Every single person on this planet goes to hell with, or everyone who goes to hell goes to hell with their sins already forgiven. They just didn't accept it. Every person on this planet, Adolf Hitler, that man went, I don't know where he went, I can't say where he went, but if he went to hell, he went to hell with his sins already forgiven. And that's why people, they, they have a hard time making this out because they only think of natural things. They only think of all of the actions that he's done, all of the horrible things. There's no way he could go to heaven. No way. And they think it's because you have to do all these things. You have to be a good person. This, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go here in scripture, but remember the, the, the thieves on the cross with Jesus. You had Jesus in the middle and you had two criminals on his side. He, the option was there for both. He died for both of them. But one of them said, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. Remember me when you go up to heaven. And he says, surely you will be with me in paradise today. Now, let me ask you, did that criminal get a chance to tithe? Did he, get, did he get a chance to get baptized? No. Yet he goes to heaven. And here we have all these people saying, oh, you're not a real Christian unless you've been baptized, unless you've done this, unless you give, unless you, unless you do all these things, then you're a Christian. No, because that would disqualify the thief on the cross. Absolutely nothing that he didn't do brought him into heaven because he didn't do anything. All he did was put faith in Jesus. That's all he did. He put faith in the grace that was provided through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. See, faith, it only appropriates what God's already provided by grace. Get that, church. Faith, it only appropriates what God already provided. Say already. already. That means he's not providing it anymore. People who pray, Lord, please heal me, God won't heal you because he already did. That's right. That's right. Well, I don't feel healed. Get yourself in the spiritual realm then. Amen. See yourself as God, how God sees you. The Bible says in... Um, in 3 John, it says that as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus Christ is, so are we. It's talking about your born-again spirit. The spirit God placed on the inside of you. You're just like him. But it's, it's, it's only through the grace that was already provided. If God's grace didn't provide it, your faith won't make him do it. If God did not provide something through his grace, there is nothing you can do to make God do it. So your job is to find out what he provided. That's your job. Your job is to get in his word. You see, the Bible, the Bible is God's word, a.k.a. it is his will. When someone dies, they write a will 
And they, on that will, they have all of the instructions of what to do with their possessions. All of the instructions of, of what to do with, with what they own, who gets what, where this goes, that's a will. And it's the person, it's the, it's the executor's job to make that will happen, correct? It's, it's that person's job to, to read that will and go, okay, you get this and you get that and you get this because he said so. Well, this is God's will. And in it contains all of the blessings, all of the, the things that God wants and has in store for you. It's all there. And guess what? Not only did God write his will through his son, Jesus, the word, but the word died and then he came back to life and he's the one who distributed all the good things in that will. Making sure that there are no mistakes. So your job is to read his will and find out what belongs to you. Then take it. Don't just read it. Take it. Go to Mark chapter 11, verse 23. This is the uh, passage of scripture that Kenneth Hagin wrote. You'll get that one later. The scripture said, and I'm not, I just said that because Kenneth Hagin was famous on preaching this all the time. So people said that he wrote it. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, someone say whoever. Whoever says to this mountain, do you know what whoever means? Whoever. The Greek word for whoever is whoever. It means whoever. And whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast. You see, is he asking the mountain, please be removed? No. Whoever says be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, this has tripped people up so many times. He will have whatever he says. There, there's no loophole to whatever. It literally means whatever. And this has tripped so many people up because now people think, well, I can just say whatever and it'll happen. There's a story of this, this lady. She started a Bible college and she believed in her heart that she was going to marry Kenneth Copeland. And he, he was already married to Gloria Copeland. And she believed in his heart that they were going to get married. And so her Bible college, she instructed them to believe in the death of Gloria Copeland so that she could marry Kenneth. And so they got together and they, she, this lady actually had a marriage ceremony for her and Kenneth Copeland but Kenneth wasn't there. It was just her and all the delusional people, and she married him in spirit. Because, and, she, and she stood on this word, whatever I say I can have. That's, that's wrong, church. Going back to Ephesians, it is only by grace through faith. God's grace provided things. You can only have faith in what was already provided through grace. And God did not provide adultery through grace. God does not provide sin through grace. God does not provide certain things through grace, yet people have taken this and they've had faith in things not provided through grace. And that's where they mess up. 
I love this scripture. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you've received them and you will have them. That's a promise. But they have to be things that were provided by God's grace. That's, that's it. That's how simple it is. Sometimes I think God's word is so simple. The Bible, it, it is simple. But sometimes we're too familiar with it that we think it's too simple and we miss how simple it actually is. We, we look into it and we go, man, there has to be something more complex than this. So then we go to Bible study college and we go to seminary and we try to learn all these things by books and what people think about the book. And, and then we come to our own conclusion, which is completely off. I'm not saying Bible college is wrong. I went to Bible college. Then I dropped out. But it, it, it's, it's, it's really simple. And we got to stop complicating it. You see, we, we can't have faith to rob a bank and believe that we'll get away with it. God's grace didn't provide thievery. We, we can't be like that crazy lady and believe for someone else's spouse. God's grace didn't provide adultery. Mm. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're almost done. Ephesians chapter 1. Like I said, if you don't know the book of Ephesians, you need to get, get into it and read it because it tells you all of the blessings that God has provided through his son Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. The scripture says, Blessed be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Has, past tense, meaning God's not going to, and I love saying this because it upsets people, God's not going to bless you anymore. He already blessed you to the max now walk in it. Walk in it. You don't need more of God's healing. You don't need more of God's blessing. You don't need more of God. He's given you the fullness of him. What you need is an understanding of him and an acknowledgement of him. The spiritual blessings in heavenly places they tell us that the blessings are spiritual realities. They are real and they are spiritual, meaning they're not natural yet. They're not here in your natural realm yet. They're spiritual and they're just as real as if they were in the natural, but you just can't see them yet. But he has blessed you. He has already, it's, 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 if you put like goggles on, you, you could see them all. There, there is my healing. There is my provision. There is that loved one saved. All the blessings are there. And your job is to take them. Your job is to claim them. That one's mine. That one's, but you won't, you won't see them unless you get a revelation of God's word. Unless, unless you renew your mind, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, to God's word, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will prove every good thing that God has for you. In other words, you will make it evident in your life. You won't be guessing anymore and you'll start to prove to others that this is the will of God. 
And because these are spiritual realities, the spirit that lives on the inside of you, the one that Jesus put on inside of you when you became saved, that spirit accesses all of those spiritual blessings in heavenly places. They're they're already connected. It's already there. And if you looked at an x-ray, you could see yourself and you would see your spirit and it's packaged and contains all of the spiritual blessings. It's inside of you. you. You already have it. It's already there. And when you renew your mind to God's word, you're aligning your soul, your mental, your emotional part of you. You're aligning it with the spiritual part of you. And a, a nice flow is going to be coming out from your spiritual realm into your reality. And that's when you see those blessings into your life. Uh, Here's uh, the New Living Translation. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.3, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. You see, these blessings that we're believing for, they cannot be separate from Christ. They They cannot go against God's word. They cannot go against what God hates or what God loves. They have to go with what God loves. They have to go with who Christ is. They're united with Christ. Anytime you separate yourself or you, you, you disconnect from, from what Jesus wants and, and has for your life, you, you can't believe for these things. You can't believe for what you want because you're disconnected from Christ. The Bible says that, that he is the vine, we are the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. When you're trying to do, do things in your own strength, you can do nothing. When you're trying to believe for things that are ungodly, you can do nothing. But when you're believing with him and you're, you're, you're in unity with him and you're in one with him, you're connected to him, all the spiritual blessings are yours. All of them. Here's a couple of spiritual blessings. If I can have the band come up. And all all these are found in Ephesians. So if you want to read them for yourself, you can find them. I'm not going to read all of them. Ephesians 1. We have been adopted as God's children. 1 verse 5. We have redemption through Jesus' blood and the forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 1 7. We have obtained an inheritance, Ephesians 1.11. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. We have been given the same power that raised Christ up from the dead, Ephesians 1.19-20. We have been made the new man, in Ephesians 2.15. We have been made fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, Ephesians 2.19. We have become a holy temple in the Lord, Ephesians 2.21, and inhabitation of God, Ephesians 2.25, 22. There's so many more. So many more blessings that are ours to take that the Bible talks about. Your job is to find out what belongs to you. Mark chapter 5. I only have a few scriptures left, I promise. Mark chapter 5. 
Mark chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. In other words, she had an issue of blood and suffered many things from many physicians. And she'd spent all that she had and was no better. Rather, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. There's so many things to unpack. Number one, she spent all that she had and was no better. She was trying to do things on her own. She saw many physicians, many doctors, and the scripture says she grew worse. She didn't get better. She got worse. Have you ever, have you ever been through that? Where you're just, you're, you're trying to either get better or you're trying to get financially better and you're doing all that you can in your own strength and it seems like nothing's working and everything's getting worse. That's what was happening to her. But then she heard Jesus. Amen. She heard Jesus. I'm here today, church, to tell you about Jesus and what he already provided. It's all yours. But until you hear it, you won't receive it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to believe for those things? You have to keep hearing. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing. It's a continual hearing. It's not hearing and having once heard one time and then recalling what you heard. It's continual hearing of the word of God. She heard about him and she said to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I shall be made well. The rest of the story goes on where she, she fights her way through the crowd. The violent take it by force. She fought her way through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that Jesus felt power leave his body and turned around and said, who touched me? You see, we miss it here. We miss it here, church. We miss it. Oh man, how do I say this, Lord? Mm, hear me, church, hear me. Take heed to what I'm saying. Jesus did not heal her. Her faith did. Jesus had no clue she was even there. He didn't just, you see people, they have this belief that, that Jesus, while he was on the earth, he was all knowing like God is, but he wasn't. He was all God and he was all human, but he was living and operating in a human body, limited to what we're limited to. That's why the scripture says that he grew daily in favor and wisdom and stature. Just like us. He had to learn how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit just like us. He had to learn 
to be in communion with the Father just like us. And the scripture says, he turned around and said, who touched me? Because he felt power leave. If he knew everything, he would have said, hey, you touched me. No, he was asking, who touched me? And here's the difference. Peter and the disciples, they said in verse 31, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Everyone's touching you, Jesus. And that was the truth. Everyone was touching him, but she took something by force. Amen? She took it. She didn't just touch him. She took her healing. And Jesus said, he looked at her. Go to verse 33. He looked at her and said, who had done this thing? The woman fearing, trembling, knowing that what had happened to her came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Next verse, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He didn't say, oh, my great power healed you. No, your faith in my grace was enough to get you healed. Amen. That's all you need. Grace and faith married together. That's all you need. That's all you need, church. Why don't we stand this morning as we get dismissed? She put her faith in his grace. That's all you need is to put your faith in his grace. Amen? Well, Matthew, I've tried that so many times before. It hasn't worked for me. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. We all agree that the word of God is a seed. Amen? That the Bible talks about itself as an incorruptible seed. So whatever the Bible tells you to do, you do it. And if it doesn't work, is it the seed's fault? No. If it doesn't work, stop blaming the seed and start evaluating the ground in which the seed was sown. Maybe it's you. Not maybe. It's your fault. And I say that with confidence because... It was my fault for so long until God got a hold of me and I figured this stuff out and now I recognize what's all mine because of Jesus Christ and now it works. It works. Thank you, Jesus. It is never the seed's fault when you're believing for something let me clarify, when you are putting your faith in his grace, it is never the seed's fault as to why you don't see it show up.